Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of Can't Stop Snapping. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, We are joined by a great guest today, and we will dive soon into uh, the conversation and the questions that we've answered. Uh, Just wanted to go over a couple of things, a couple of news items. One, there is a new location in the game, the Bifrost. Uh, You know, as uh, as you would think, it has something to do with movement. Uh, Essentially, if Bifrost is a location on the board after turn uh, four, um, all cards at each location will shift one location to the right. If you're in the most right location, then obviously you don't move. And once a location is filled, obviously cards can no longer uh, continue moving into that location if there's more cards that would have moved into that location. So definitely an interesting uh, interesting location. You kind of have to play around it once it flips off because the first few turns of the game, you kind of need to play accordingly. You know, one location to the left of where you want your cards to actually show up. Obviously, this plays into the the move archetype really well because you kind of get some free movement on a lot of your cards. So we've seen a lot of people playing with that. Um, But overall, another interesting location to add to the rotation. Uh, With that all being said, uh, we still don't have any uh, changes to Nexus events. We will have some conversations about Nexus events in today's episode. Uh, But I am still expecting, you know, nothing to change on that front for probably another two to three weeks following their normal patch schedule. So we will stay tuned and obviously be covering that. Uh, With that all being said, once again, thank you for tuning in. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at can't underscore stop underscore snap. And without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of Can't Stop Snapping. Um, We are here today with a great guest host uh, by popular demand. A lot of you have been asking me, when is he going to be on? When is he going to be on? We are joined today by Ridiculous Hat. Uh, He is here to help cover his thoughts on the game. Uh, You know, he's been sharing some of his thoughts on Twitter and other places, but we are here to dive deep into his thoughts as well as the questions that we have sourced from you, the listeners on Twitter, Reddit, uh, Discord, Facebook, etc. So ridiculous hat. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Gosh, you make me sound so important with people are demanding. It's like, no, they're just used to me talking so much about my opinions. They're like, hey, why don't you do it on this new game? And here we are. Yeah. So thank you so much for the audience. Yeah, yeah, no problem. No, I, I mean... To be fair, you're the only one that's been requested so far. I mean, everybody else has loved the guests we've had, but you've been the, the one that's been asked for again and again. So before we dive into the bulk of what we want to talk about, which is the questions and your thoughts about the game, uh, just kind of want to give you a second. Uh, I'm assuming a lot of our listeners know who you are. I've listened to maybe some of your other work, but just tell us about your background with the card game scene in general. Uh, how do you get into Marvel Snap? Uh, what do you think sets it apart, et cetera? Just kind of a brief intro of, how you got to this point where you know you're enjoying Marvel Snap, you're playing Marvel Snap, etc. So my background is, gosh, do I have to call myself an influencer? It makes me sound so pretentious. Um, I I talk a lot on the internet. I have tweeted a lot about many things. I'm a card gamer for a very very long time. I played Magic the Gathering at summer camp, and then was a I call it a quasi pro in the high school and college where I qualified to a few pro tours, did a couple events, had a couple nice finishes, but like, you know, never made top eight of any major events. I top eight at a Grand Prix one time, long, long time ago in a, in a former life. Um, and then got a job at a major movie theater company, had to work nights and weekends. Can't really do magic tournaments and nights and weekends. So it was kind of out of card games for a bit. And, you know, I tried magic online, but it's a terrible program. Uh, then Hearthstone came out. And it's available on mobile as well. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to play some of this. You know, I'm going to tweet at some people I used to play Magic with about Hearthstone. Uh, That landed for some reason. People like the tweets. So then they said, hey, do you want to tweet for like two hours and call it a podcast? And so there was a show that invited me on, Coin Concede. It was the first Hearthstone podcast I joined in 2017. Since then, I have joined two additional podcasts. Uh, I run a Hearthstone league. Um, I I also like, I I have to admit, I have a problem. I run spreadsheets for communities. So I run multiple leaderboard spreadsheets in the Hades community as well, because that's another great video game. Not a card game, but super great game. Um, I just like making spreadsheets and helping people and doing all that stuff. So uh, when it came time for Marvel Snap, um, I got invited to to try out the beta uh, in the first wave in late May. I got the download when I was at my brother's wedding out west, and we had a bunch of downtime, but I didn't have a desktop computer, but I did have my phone. I killed my battery like twice a day, just snapping. 
snapping all day. So that was the first season. I got up to like 95, ranked 95, but I never got over 100. Um, finally got to infinite this season right after the most recent nerf patch. I just redid my Sarah Miracle deck and got there in a couple days because I happened to have a lot of pool three cards that worked out. Uh, I, I'm having a lot of fun with the game. I live in New York City. I commute to work via train for a good portion that I have internet connectivity. And let me tell you, portrait mode is a revelation. If this was a landscape mode game, I would play it so much less. But portrait mode, fast games, it's so, so great. And I really like the strategic depth, but it's not, the games aren't laborious. They don't take too long. Six, maybe seven turns. Yeah. No, I totally get that. I mean, I work from home and, you know, just downtime between meetings and, uh, you know, just kind of moving around my space, my workspace. It's just nice to, I'm like, I'm just going to play a quick game, right? Uh, Now, that being said, sometimes that quick one game turns into a quick uh, four or five games. But uh, try to keep it to a reasonable level. But uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that. So um, you've obviously been playing, like you said, since May. So you've kind of had the full uh, beta experience, if you will. You've you've kind of seen this from day one till now. So you've You've experienced all of the patches, the buffs, the nerfs, the the good, the bad, the ugly. So you're going to bring all that context to a lot of these questions we're going to be talking about. So um, you've done me the favor of helping to organize a lot of these questions. You and me both source these from a, from a variety of different listeners and locations. And we've got them organized into a couple of categories. We have some design questions, gameplay questions. Probably the one we got the most questions about was kind of collection, monetization, and systems. Uh, so we tried to kind of summarize some of those questions into uh, a couple of general questions that covered a lot of the questions that were coming in. And then we'll, we'll finish off with some art sound and just some other fun questions that came in. So with that being said, we're going to uh, dive right into the design questions. So this first one comes from uh, Kazargar, I think is how the name is said. Uh, I always think of asked, them as Kazargar, but it might be Kazargar. I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah, it's a made up word. Point. Yeah. Kazargar. Uh, they ask, what do you think of the core game and available de- design space? Do you think this game could su- can sustain what it has for five years, ten years? What do you view as its potential biggest limiting factor? Okay, so um, first, first caveat that I'm going to give, I'm glad this is the first question, because everyone loves to be an armchair game designer. And I'm not going to say I don't love it. I love it on an occasion. It's called content creation. The reality is, I play these games. I think about how they probably are made. I don't work in the industry. What I'm going to try and do this episode is I'm going to try and focus on my feelings and thoughts around the game. And I'm going to try to avoid, I'm going to try to avoid to lean too much into giving the dev solutions because they know how to make games. I don't know how to make mm-hmm. games. What I do know is I know yeah. how to play games and I know how I feel when playing games. With that being said, when we get these armchair design questions, I'm absolutely going to, going to shoot my shot out there, whatever. But the game designers, any game designer, they have gotten to where they've gotten to because they love making games and because they've done it a lot. Because anyone that tries to get into this industry casually, it's kind of terrible quality of life-wise. They work way more and make way less money than just any other tech thing. So they just do it because they like making games. So I'm going to trust generally what they do and that there's a reason for it that I don't necessarily understand. But let me look at a question like this. What do I think of the game's available design space? I'm going to give my completely uninformed opinion because that's what podcasters do. (laughs) So, I don't know. The limiting factor is probably like getting approval from Marvel for the character designs, I would guess. Yeah, I I think that... um, I don't know so much about the the potential biggest limiting factor. I mean, maybe a couple small things come to my mind. I I don't know if there's one big thing. As far as kind of going to the first part of the question, you know, the core gameplay, the available design space. Um, We'll get into this in some other questions and my thoughts, but I think they have a lot of potential. I think they've created something unique where, I mean, kind of a real shift from a lot of card games out there, right? Where we're going from large decks, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 cards, right? To 12 cards, uh, very quick matches. And where it feels like every card uh, can have an impact in some kind of archetype or uh, strategy. Now I know people maybe complain a little bit. Oh, I, you know, I opened this really crappy card in pool three and I'm so disappointed, but the reality is, is from what we've seen is that, uh, as you just get more and more cards, you know, every card has its place, right. In a, in a couple of different deck builds, a couple of different ideas, a couple of different strategies. So with that, 
that feeling that I've got, I think they have a lot of space. I think every card they're adding, you know, has some unique place in the in the structure of decks somewhere. So I think um, I think they, they they can run with this for a long time. I think you know, adding cards at a regular pace, you know, each one of those cards can then be shuffled into kind of existing decks, can can create new ideas, etc. So I think I think they have some bandwidth to grow and to kind of run with this this model for a while. Yeah, I think so too. My biggest concerns are actually more in the systems and content pipeline uh, section of how quickly are they going to put cards into the ecosystem? How much will they matter? Do they have a long term plan for rotation without plans for like expansion releases? I'm trying not to think of this as a card game because I don't think that Snap is a card game as we typically think of it. It's dangerously close to like an an, uh, an RPG gotcha game, like a Fire Emblem Heroes or whatever. You don't pick the number of heroes that are in your deck. Each one is unique. You've got to collect them. You don't really have agency over which one you get, except for loot boxes, which we'll get into later. Don't worry, listener. I know you're shouting at your radio. We'll get into it later. Um, but it's this is not a deck builder. Like You're not tweaking mana curves or whatever or bases. You, you have a rough energy curve that you're trying to hit maybe sometimes, uh, but you're drawing 75% of your deck every game, and each card is unique and individual. So this isn't a card game in terms of we're going to get an expansion where they drop like 50 new characters on us all at once, and we buy them all at once. It's not going to be like that. So I don't really know what the long-term future looks like. I do agree with you that anything can be useful. I'm playing a deck in Infinite right now with Rockslide in it. Yeah. Shout out to, uh, I think it's iCowCow's list of uh, of Magic Destroy, but there is a rock slide in that deck, and it's doing all right. Sometimes my opponents will just instantly retreat on six, and that means I know they've drawn Rock Rock. Yeah. Yeah, because at that point, you're, you've kind of thrown those in when their deck's maybe a little whittled down. So the second question here, you kind of alluded to it, and, and it's kind of made me think of this. So... The second question from the same person, uh, Kazarger, says, do you think we will ever get to the point where we, where we will need some sort of standard wild card limitation or rotation of cards? And I personally don't think we really will. Uh, you kind of talked about that a little bit, but with by the nature of us kind of getting cards at a slower pace uh, and kind of spread out and each card having impact, but the fact that we're only like in maybe 150 card range right now, and with all the cards we know that have been data mined, we're maybe in the low 200s. I really don't see like us getting to a thousand cards, you know, anytime soon or anything like that, or or even just the high hundreds where there would really be a need to like ban or, or rotate out cards. Now that being said, there may be competitive modes where certain cards are banned, etc. People do their own tournaments, etc. That you know, things like that. But I personally don't think we're going to see kind of the same form of rotation that we've seen in some other card games. Yeah, I mean, you could do multiple formats pretty easily. There, There's always a point. If Snap is around for five years, there's going to be a point where you get magicked five years from now, and you say, what if there was a format where we only play with the new cards and I don't get magicked anymore? I don't have to worry about a surprise turn seven. Now, there's going to be a point where you want some kind of different, fresh experience. We're talking about a very different stage in Snap's lifestyle. This has been enclosed invite-only beta and and region lockout for two months maximum for a lot of people less than that. This is way, way, way into the future. But if they do, what, two to four cards a month, something like that? If they If they did, let's say, three cards a month for five years, that's... Uh... 50, 60, 180 cards, right? They could easily yep. do a format that says, let's just do the last two years of new cards. It's 120 cards. That's all you get to play with right now in, in like a separate mode. They could do that. They don't have to eliminate the original cards. They can still leave like classic or legacy, whatever you want to call it, and also have some kind of new rotation where you only play with the new stuff. They don't have to do that. But there's a point where if the game is successful enough that it has a long-term player base, it will kind of be a natural desire of the players to play with newer stuff and to maybe experience something without the older stuff and then be able to go back to it. I'm never going to say this is not a thing. I don't know what Snap's future looks like. Clearly, the second dinner does. But I'd be curious to see if we get to the point where this sort of thing makes sense. Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, I think obviously with the beta and what a lot of people 
sometimes I think don't understand is that they're focused on the core gameplay right now. A lot of people are like, well, where are the game modes? And when are we going to get a ton of new game modes, et cetera? Like those will come with time, right? Um, and when there's just, there's more cards out, you know, and, the, and they can kind of turn their focus to that. But uh, so, yeah, I, I, I could see something like that in the long term. Um, but will we get that, you know, in the next three months, next six months? I would doubt it. But, uh, you know, they're hoping to be here for the long term is what they've said, obviously. Yeah, and th- so and this is uh, years think, down the road. This is not a yeah. This is not a, a right now or even right now ish. A lot of things about the game would have to change for us to talk about what would a format look like that doesn't include the cards that we just got because the game is it's negative release. It is not yet released. It is a beta early access product. So that that thought of it being a beta that kind of leads also into this next question. This is from Tiago Taparelli. Uh, they ask, uh, what would you like for their nerf buff approach to be? You know, example, few and far between or more frequently, et cetera. Um, I just want to give my thoughts on this. Just as you're saying, I think one thing to reiterate to everybody, right? You know, as we're in the, we're in, we're in a beta, right? They're, they're really trying to get this for a, uh, ready for a global release. And we don't know everything they're trying to have ready for that, right? Like what are the metrics they're trying to meet? What are all the features they're trying to have, et cetera? But I do know they probably want to have a global release where the game is as balanced as they can with the initial kind of cards they'll have at launch, right? Um, that being said, you know, we've seen, you know, we had a patch and then I think two or three weeks later we had another patch and both of those saw nerfs and buffs to cards. I think we're going to continue to see kind of a, probably in every three to four weeks or, or maybe even every two to four weeks um, as we're in the beta. I think they're just going to be making tweaks here and there just as uh, the game kind of goes along, just trying to get it right, if you will. Um, but then I don't know. I guess, you know, once they once it's in a global release and they've kind of spent all that time really testing and getting it just uh, tightened up and balanced uh, what they've got thus far, I think we'll probably see um, uh, tuning of cards less frequently just by nature of them, okay, releasing two, three cards a month maybe, right, that... Uh, those cards may require other cards need to be buffed or nerfed, right? Because of the interactions they have, but it's not like, okay, you know, this one card came out and now 20 cards need changes, right? Yeah, it's, this is really hard to say. I, I think that when you're in a beta, we should expect more frequent changes. I was playing, before the most recent run of nerfs, I was playing Sarah Miracle, which included six cards that got changed, right? Two mana strong guy, three mana GR, 10 power Chavez, uh, I forget what else was in there total, but you think about just what we're playing with right now, and we're dealing with tuning mistakes the video game because they've never had this in public before. They've never had it released and tested with, like, an actual player base. And looking back at it, a 2-9, probably too good. Probably too good. Yeah. Right. So I want them to change that sort of thing where every single deck started to homogenize because you just play the clear tuning outliers and they fix them. I understand that the discussion about, well, these are the pool one cards. You want to make sure people have something good. I want to make sure people don't have one deck that's good. I want to make sure they feel like they have some choice and also they don't feel obligated to play a certain way. And Strong Guy just rewarded you for playing Marvel Snap the way Marvel Snap wanted to be played. It just, it was everywhere. So I, I like what they've done so far, but... I don't really know if I want my stuff to break this fast with P3 decks, because if I wait, like, weeks to get Mystique, and then they nerf her, I'm not going to feel very good. That's going to be kind of crappy. And we're talking yeah. about decks already. If I don't own the card Death, so I can't play Death Wave. So if you nerf Death, then Death Wave as a deck ceases to exist. Do you want to delete entire archetypes this early on in the game. I don't think that makes a lot of sense, even though if something is really crazy and a super broken balance outlier, which I don't think anything is right now, you want to fix it. But you don't want to take away decks from players when they're already complaining that it's really hard to get. So I would expect that their nerf cadence is going to be a little slower. I like more buffs than nerfs, just to make half the cards that are sitting in my collection be a little bit more useful. Um, And then after that... I don't think they need to hit cards that hard or that often, but we also don't know how stale the game's going to get and how quickly they're going to infuse with new cards and if Nexus events are going to get turned to something sustainable. Yeah, and we'll dive into that more. But uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. I I think that uh, 
think it'll be kind of a, a middle approach, or at least that's what I like to see, right? Where, yeah, you know, they obviously address things when they need to and make changes when they need to, but I'd love to not see them, you know, uh, switching it up every three weeks, right? Completely uh, changing things around, which I don't think they will. Um, continuing on here, uh, this one is probably a quick one. On uh, Nico asks, um, what are your thoughts on the 12 unique cards per deck format coming from Hearthstone? And I'll turn that one over to you. I, you know, I'm a, I know Hearthstone. I, I've, you know, I've played a little bit, but I'm definitely not an expert in things Hearthstone. So what are your thoughts on that? So just in general card games, I'll just come from a general card game background. In card games where you have 30 or 60 cards or whatever, I don't build decks, I net deck, right? And Snap doesn't have as many resources for that right now. Most of the decks that you'll find are on Twitter or Discord buried somewhere in various channels. Uh, There's no central database because the game is two months old and mostly most people can't play it yet. Uh, But it feels pretty different because every card feels distinct. You draw 75% of your cards in a normal game because uh, it was, what, 9 out of the 12 by the time they hit turn 6. Yep. Um, if you are playing Magic, then you draw 10 of them. If you draw a card somehow, you can... There have been multiple times today where I haven't drawn for my turn because I'm out of cards in my deck. I drew them all. So they all feel impactful, but the deck building stress is a lot lower because I don't have to worry about exact tuning of how many of this card do I run. I feel a lot more encouraged to experiment because it's just one card here or there, but the impact can be massive. And you pretty quickly tell when you draw a new card, well, it happens fast because you're really likely to draw it the first game you queue up. And as soon as you play it, it's such a compressed window of turns that you know, did this card matter or did it not? Unless it's like a tech card and you're waiting for, if you tech an enchantress, then don't face anything that's ongoing, then you're not going to get it. But maybe if that happens a few games in a row, maybe I don't really need this. It feels pretty geared towards what the game is doing. I don't know. How do you feel about this, Michael? Yeah, no, I, I have to agree with you. I mean, I, I think even even more so once they add a, a kind of a mode that doesn't have cubes, you're not trying to rank up, if you will, right? Just kind of a free play mode, no risk. I, I mean, I think the experimentation is really going to pop off for, for everybody, right? I think yeah. it already is. It's already friendly to that, like you say. We call but, um, this Dumpster Infinite. That is where yeah. people experiment, is Dumpster Infinite. At rank 101, you're going to see some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that I've I've enjoyed experimenting, right? I, and I'm at a point right now where I'm like, I've got like three decks I kind of rotate through, right? Um, and then occasionally, right, either I get a new card or I just kind of feel like, okay, this deck is not, it's not winning as much as I like, right? And so, like you're saying, it's not like, okay, I need to look at, do I have a second or a third of this card, right? And kind of trying to figure out the probabilities of all that. It's really like, maybe I'll just take out one card and put one other card in, right? Let's see how that feels. Uh, play, you know, play five matches, 10 matches, and just see, okay, is this doing better or worse? Um, I think it's really friendly for that. And I, and I think that's really exciting um, where, you know, I've played other games, Legends of Ruterra, et cetera. And like you said, yeah, it's kind of like I'd, I'd go find deck lists and things like that. Um, but then... I don't know. I just felt like it was more stressful to figure out exactly how to tweak things. Right. Um, where this just feels, it feels more fun. I feel like I can be more creative and just uh, kind of test things out, see how combinations work. You know, sometimes I'm going off of lists with Marvel snap decks that I find other times I just say, you know what? I just want to make a really obnoxious deck. You know, let's put Dr. X in there. Let's put uh, you know, things that are going to really lock down my opponent um, hobgoblin. Right. And I'll just kind of mess around with stuff. So, yeah, I I think it's I think it's unique, and I think it has the potential to have, you know, a, a nice longevity because there's so many different combinations. Um, and like we've already said, the cards are each so impactful by themselves, and each has a place that you really can kind of create all these great unique combinations. Yeah, I mean the every element of the snap experience, or at least every element, is intended. To be low friction. When you go into a deck building screen in Runeterra, you got to pick your champions, you got to pick your regions, they have different restrictions, you got to read the 12 new keywords that they introduced in the most recent set, whatever. Um, and it, it's it takes time and energy and focus. And Snap, I just like drag out Okoya and Dragon Scarlet Witch, and I've changed a 12th of my deck without really even thinking about it. So it's everything about Snap is just, oh, I'll jump in a quick game. Oh, I'll just change one card. 
Oh, I'll just do this. Oh, I'll just do that. Oh, it's two in the morning. What happened? My battery's dead. No, I, I'm going to like, I'm going to like kill the, the longevity of my battery because I've been charging it so much. Uh, yep. I totally get that. Um, well, jumping down here, I, I'd love to, uh, you know, a lot of you guys uh, sending questions. We're not going to have time to do every single one. So I'd love to jump into our gameplay related questions. I mean, we've obviously been touching on some aspects of that. But um, Leaf asks, I plan to get into Marvel Snap whenever it has a wider U.S. release. What is the one pointer you'd give to new players? Anything you wish you had known when starting? I'm going to turn this over to you first. You've got a couple of notes in here about your thoughts. Okay. So the first one, I'm going to instigate on your podcast. I'm going to start a fight and I don't have to deal with it next week. Don't play Quicksilver Domino. Just play cards that do things. When I first started, Quicksilver, I think, was my most upgraded card because I thought that it was in addition to your opening hand. That is not what happens. It replaces a card. Play a card that does something. But I think the most important thing that I still struggle with to this day, there is an instinct to stay in a game and see what's going to happen. Retreat. 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 Retreat is cheat. Just if you want to keep your cubes, don't let the other person take them. And then as a corollary, by turn four, if you're not going to retreat, you should snap. And if you don't feel comfortable snapping, you should probably retreat. Oh, yes. I mean, uh, what what to what to add or what to say to this? I I fall victim to this myself. I and I know I mean, I people have said to me, you know, your goal should be never lose more than one cube. Right. right? So in essence, you, you know, that's what's on the table at risk. And if somebody snaps, obviously that doubles to two. And then when you get to the end of the game, whatever you're at doubles again. And so it's like, if you're going to lose cubes, lose one. Right. And I try to do that. And I, and that has helped me rank up faster, kind of having that mentality, but there's still those times where it's just like, well, you know, if they don't draw this and if I draw this next turn, oh man, you know, like I just, you just want to start to wonder what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And then, a lot of the times what happens, right? They've snapped. I decide to stay in then two cubes are on the line. And then either I then retreat on turn five or something. Right. Uh, and then I've lost two cubes or then I get, the, I fall into the trap the next turn. Right. Oh, well, you know, if this happens next turn, or if it plays out this way and then I lose four cubes, right. Or what have you. So, and then, and then immediately after it's just kind of that feeling of, I knew I should have retreated. Why did I stay in? Dude, right. For uh, the nerf. I kept losing to Chavez, and I finally developed a rule like, if I'm going to lose to Chavez, just leave the game right now on turn, and before I press go on turn six, if I'm going to lose to a guaranteed draw, something is wrong with my approach. So I'm even going to go simpler than you, because I think I, I made the other mistake of once I snapped, I see a game through the end. My, my advice to new players, here it is, don't get eight cubed. Leaving yep. on one is ideal, but don't get eight cubed. If you snap and then retreat for four, it's still better than getting eight cubed. Twice as good. So just don't get eighted. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Great advice. I couldn't agree more. I I think that's really the key uh, to really ranking up, right? It's just, and it's very different than, than, you know, other card games where you kind of have the structure of the cubes and the doubling of the cubes and stuff like that. So it warps my that brain will help when you. I'm playing other games after I play a lot of snap, I concede super early when I'm slightly behind. And then I realize after, oh, nope, there's there's no cubes in this game. I lost the same amount that I would for any other game. Should have probably played that one out. Yep. Yep. 100 percent. So definitely another paradigm shift from the card games we're used to. Um. Up next, we have a question from MadK17. They asked, some pointers on deck building would be good. What does an average looking uh, looking curve look like? How many one, two, three drops should I run? Um, now, this is a fascinating question. Where have you landed yeah. on this? Well, for me, it's the D word, which is depends. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, magic I, I think, yeah, I think, how to word this? I It's probably, maybe this is a frustrating answer, but I think, uh, there are decks where you play really heavy on the one, two, three spectrum, right? And there's other decks where maybe you have, you know, half your decks is, is four or five cards, right? And then sometimes there's decks where half your deck is six draws and you're trying to discard them and resurrect them with Ghost Rider or pull them out with um, 
course, now I'm going to forget her name. Uh, oh, Jubilee. Jubilee. I was like, she's an X-Men. Uh, yes, with Jubilee, uh, right? And so it really depends on what archetype you're playing, what strategy. Um, I would say, so that's my first thought. Second thought is, generally, I will have anywhere from two to three one drops just kind of in my average deck. I said if I, if I had to like average out my decks, um, I'd say I normally have three one drops. Um, but that's not like, I'm not like trying to play to that rule, if that makes sense. It's just some of my decks have a lot of one drops. Some of them have one or two. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe that's not helpful for listeners. Maybe that's not what you want to hear, but I think it really just it depends, which I think is a good thing with this game. I think it's, it's a game where you're not having to, you know, every deck has to play into a certain kind of curve with having a certain amount of drops at each cost. Yeah. I have an accurate answer and I have a more, uh, involved answer the accurate answer is the game's been out for two months nobody has any idea um the involved answer that i'm going to give immediately after discrediting my own authority and legitimacy here because that's again what podcasters do um you have to think about what the perfect curve of your deck is going to be and if you want to win more you usually play on curve but if you want to cube more if you want to cube up more which you do you play for the last turn the last two ish i would have said play till turn six until this last month's meta, turn seven is usually the end of the game now. So play to the last turn. That's usually where you want to have your power spike because the whole goal of the game is to be unpredictable and powerful. Um, so generally, I recommend thinking about the perfect curve of your deck. What are the sequence for turns four, five, and six? One, two, and three will fill in those turns, and some of those cards can be pretty powerful. But since we're naturally playing towards the late game anyways, we're playing for burst power, then your low-cost cards, I think, are often tech cards or scaling cards. You're looking at Scorpion, Okoye, Scarlet Witch is a good one. Uh, Nakia, obviously, because she's just a big pile of numbers. But the the best one in the game is Nightcrawler, because Nightcrawler wins you Sanctum Sanctorum when the other person does not have Nightcrawler. That's why Nightcrawler is played, not because it's a big number, but it's because it's flexible and generally useful and, and helps you do whatever it is you want to do. So I wouldn't go too overboard on one, two, threes, but you can play lower curve. Just, you'll probably cube up less if you generally power spike earlier in the game. It's why Professor X is a two-cube card, right? Sandman's a two-cube card. But if you want to get eight cubes, you play Magic, you play Sarah, uh, you, you know, you play Hella, I guess, if you're lucky. The, the, the cube gain is more biased towards late-game power spikes. Now, uh, you know, funny enough, I have Hella, and I've not... I've not had much success thus far. So, but but I agree High with what you're saying. I mean, when it works, it's amazing. Yeah. It's just that's one out of every yeah. ten games. Yep, yep. But I totally get what you're saying, and yeah, I I think uh, you know you really are playing for the end game. As if you're trying to rank up, right? You're trying to, you know, take out your opponent. You know, make it feel like as you're maybe turn four or five that you're behind, right? That's what you in an ideal situation. That's how you want to look, right? And then you want to be able to kind of pull out all the stops there on turns five, six, seven, whatever it is, right? Uh, to to turn the tide. So interesting question. And I think, um, you know, as you kind of alluded with your first answer, as time goes on, I think we'll learn more about this and we'll maybe see uh, if there are patterns that are more successful with, you know, how many uh, cost drops, et cetera. Yes. Um, up next, we have a question from Lil Robitussin. Uh, they ask, I'm wondering what decks you've been playing after the most recent patch. Have you been playing meta decks or making your own? So I'll, I'll give my answer here. My most played deck right now um, has been a Death Wave deck. And uh, what I play you're with... You're one of them. Like, you're one of them. I'm one of those two. Uh, obviously, I play with Wave and Death, uh, hence the name. But uh, I, I've got Chavez in there. I've got... Um, uh, Dr. Doom, and I've got Magneto. Um, okay. Interesting, so, why Magneto? Uh, one, because I just unlocked him, like, yesterday, and I wanted to play with him a bunch and, and split him, so I, I got enough uh, boosters between yesterday and today to split him. But um, it's it's worked out for me, right? I mean, obviously, the strategy is, you know, I destroy enough cards that I can throw down Wave on turn five, which makes death cost zero on turn six. And then I can throw down another six cost card. So I'm usually throwing death with either, just depending on which one's the best for me. Um, Chavez is there in case I don't draw some of the other ones, right? 
Uh, Magneto is there if I need to shift power of my opponent to another place on the board to help me win. And then obviously Dr. Doom's there to fill up the board if that makes the most sense. So it kind of leaves me multiple options, right? It's kind of the thought. Uh, but that obviously does fill up a third of my deck with, you know, uh, high-cost cards, right? Um, but I've had I've had some decent success with it. I, I may need to pull one of those cards out, right? Uh, what I replaced was Jubilee after they made the change because I was running it with Jubilee before, uh, just pulling down that Chavez every turn four, right? Um, and now that that's less consistent, uh, you know, half the time I end up pulling down like Carnage and destroying yeah. all my cards at that location, and it's not ideal. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's that's what I've been playing. And then other than that, I've been playing some Cerebro two, Cerebro two power, um, and some kind of Swarm discard stuff. Those are solid. Yeah, I want to. I really want to get. I'm dying for Mystique. I'm dying for Mystique so bad. She's in like all the cool things that I want to do. I don't have long yeah. either, so I got to figure out how to make that happen. Um, as for me, I am. I am, I guess, a Sarah main because that was the first really busted pool three card that I opened, and I happened to get a lot of the the good stuff. I got Ghost Rider pretty early, uh, and I got Mojo pretty early, so I was able to bi- and Hellcow. So I was able to build a pretty powerful Sarah deck right before the nerfs. Afterwards, I took out Sif GR, I took out Chavez, I took out Strong Guy, um, and I just added in a bunch of stuff that seemed kind of busted when it was one mana off. Because you think about how Sarah works. She's basically a Psylocke for every two mana card you're planning and playing next turn because my typical turn six before the nurse was two drop, two drop, two drop, two drop, and Ghost Rider. So that's, what, 11 mana worth of cards? That's five Psylocke's. Pretty powerful. So I tried to find as many good twos and threes I could find. Uh, So Mysterio, really, really great with Bishop. If you don't know how he works, I don't really either. He's a funky card. But he does trigger Bishop three times, and each token carries Nakia buffs. So he was really great. Maximus was fine. He's big. Uh, and then I just threw in a bunch of other cards that seemed to make sense. But now I am on, I think it is Cow's latest list of uh, Magic Destroy, because Magic is a cheaty, cheaty card. Feels yeah. super unfair. And I want to be the person doing the unfair things. So it's supposed to have, uh, it's a Sarah Magic deck. It's supposed to have Mystique, so you can go turn five Sarah. Turn six, Magic Mystique. Turn seven, your entire hand. I can't do that, but it's still good enough to turn seven, Killmonger Shang-Chi. That wins a lot of games. So I've been doing a lot of that. And then otherwise, I'll just load in whatever decks I can find that I can build. Uh, you know, I've tried out various move decks. I gotta get that chapter four done. Um, haven't played any Thor decks yet, because I don't own Jane Foster, and I'm not planning on owning Jane Foster, so we'll see if I can find a Thor deck without her. Yeah. Um... That being said, I, I appreciate you sharing your decks you're playing. That kind of leads into our next section, if you will. Uh, that okay. last comment you alluded to, you don't plan on owning Jane Foster, uh, and I, I'm there with you. So our next section, as I, as I said, would be collection, monetization, and systems. So a lot of you sending questions. We definitely had the most questions here by far, and we tried to kind of sum them up into the overall uh, questions that people were asking at a high level uh just just to to try to cover all the topics here but um uh before we dive into kind of uh jane foster and and all of that we'll start off with the first question which is you know what do you think of the collection system how would you change it so you and me haven't talked about i mean we talked about it a little bit you know uh a week ago when uh, the patch came out but you know what are your overall impressions about the collection system uh, as a whole, just how they've kind of laid it out as what their their plan and how it works, and what would you change if anything about it? Okay, so caveat disclaimer: I'm a player, so what I want is all the cards right now. Michael, would you like all the cards right now? Hey, I would not complain about having all the cards yeah. right now. But that is a packaged product that you sell one time at a board game store in 1996. It's not where we are right now. If you want to make a live service game as product, you can't do that, even though that's the thing that I want. So I understand why they aren't just giving me all the cards right now. I imagine the game designers want people to have all the cards for the game because they had fun making them, but they want the game to last for years as opposed to being burned through all the content right now and then be done. It's a different world we live in. So most of my answers are going to be biased towards I want to skip the song and dance and get to the cards. The number one thing about the collection system 
I am sure you have had this opinion on your show before. I am sure you have thought this opinion. Some way for me to get the car that I want. I work in customer service in my day job. The place where human beings get crazy is the place between what I want and what I can have. We see this in the official Discord when patches drop and people want something and can't get it. We see it in the real world. We see it everywhere. So when I open a card and I wish it was Mystique and it is Arrow, I'm not happy about the Arrow. I wish the collection system would change the most at that exact moment. When I open a card and I get what I want, I am happy about the changes. The new 1500 plus changes are great. Those of us that have wailed out in the past, I don't feel like they owe me anything because I knew what I was getting into beforehand. I'm glad they made it better. But I wish there was some way to bypass the song and dance and get the card somehow. Or maybe if instead of giving us uh, collector's reserves, just give me wild cards and I can pick the card that I want. If you kept the exact same rate of card gain, but just gave me wild cards and I can pick the card that I want, I would like that a lot more. But, you know, yeah. spent spent a good amount of money on the game. I imagine other people won't. The game will take them longer to get through. That is intentional. It is free to patient like every other game in this space. It is free if you spend your time instead. I prefer to spend a little bit more money to accelerate the time. But the number one thing that I dislike about the current system in collection-wise is agency. And I'm sure you've had people tell you this before and thought this before. Yeah, I, I mean, it's been the most common common opinion, kind of what you've said. If um, and, and there's a lot of suggestions. I mean, you've said, okay, wild tokens, and maybe you get a certain amount of tokens or a certain amount of, a certain amount of boosters, and you can cash those in, right? Like, there's all these different ideas of, okay, how does that system look like? Or how does it change? People have said, okay, maybe you open up a, a, a mystery card or a cash or whatever, and you're presented with three cards that you haven't unlocked, and you get to pick one, and the other two go back into the random pool, right? And then eventually sure. they'll pop up again. Yeah, um, make them all have different keywords, right? One can be a move card. One can be a destroy card. Like, it's you can do stuff like that. Sure, why not? Yeah. So so there's been lots of suggestions like that. Obviously, that you know, going back to the developer's mindset, at least the way I've interpreted what they've said, they want kind of that feeling of, like, uniqueness, of, like, hey, my collection is different than everybody else's collection currently. Like, I've unlocked some of the same cards as you, but not all the same cards, right? Like, you have Sarah, I don't have Sarah, but I probably have cards you don't have, right? I, You know, I have death, you don't have death, right? So kind of that feeling of, like, we get to try out different things, which I don't think it is the, the worst idea in the world. Like, I, I get, in essence, what they're going for, but I think what the culture of card games has, you know, point, you know has pushed people to expect, right? Again, we've talked about these paradigm shifts, between other games and this game is that cards come out, you get those cards and then you play with those cards, right? Where this game is okay. Eventually you'll have all the cards, but that's going to take a while. And uh, you're going to get them at a different pace, a different order. So you're kind of forced into trying different things. Right. Um, I think there's frustration with that, but also I think it's unique I think it's only been a couple of months. And so I've had moments where I felt really bad, like you've said, right? Where I'm like, man, uh, this feels really disappointing. I opened this card that like, yeah, it may be good once I unlock three other cards, but when will that be, right? Or now with the new collector's cash, I'll open it up and I'll have boosters. That feels kind of bad. Uh, But then there's other times where it's like, wow. Uh, you know, since the change, like I've unlocked, I, I got two cards, uh, two caches in a row and it was hell cow. And then it was like um, Dr. Doom or something. Right. It was like, wow, those are both cards I wanted. Right. Um, this feels great. Like this is a great system. I'm super excited. Right. So it definitely is kind of that uh, hot, cold, right. Kind of flips back and forth for me. Um, and I think that's kind of how everybody is. So I think time will tell. And once there's more systems, for uh, the game, game modes, potentially other ways to unlock cards, etc. There, there's so much I could say. I, I think we'll, we'll see how it really uh, goes long-term, I guess, with the collection system. But I think there's good, and I think there's bad. Yep. I mean, and there's pretty clearly the bad. We call that this next question, Nexus Events. What's up with Nexus Events? How would you fix them? Will the backlash affect the long-term success of the game? Um, so you've talked about this as well. And everyone in every Marvel Snap universe since last week has only been talking about this because it was a big deal, right? It was a big deal. It shook the faith in Second Dinner. 
I think that's fair to say, right? Yep. Yep. So, okay. Right now, next event, I'm going to have a bold take. Are you ready? Are you sitting down? Too much money. I'm ready. Too much money. I said it. Old statement. Yes. Also, um, exclusive cards that require too much money, unpleasant. Not a fan. I like either make the exclusivity window smaller, make another way to get it, or make them cost less, like something. But I understand they have to run a business. I don't know how the business runs. The the real thing that I want to address here first is is this company evil? Did they lie? I don't think they did. I think they made a bunch of mistakes because it's their first product and it's in beta. And it sucked. It's unpleasant. But in order to think that this was precisely calculated, despite the fact that the backlash here was so strong that every bit of influencer marketing that they'd done resulted in every influencer they engaged with dropping the game and making videos about how predatory it is, you would have to assume they were evil and devious in planning out this massive plan to swindle us out of money and too stupid to do the math to realize we would notice. I don't think that's what happens. I don't think that they are both evil and stupid. I think that they made a mistake, a bunch of mistakes here, and now they came out the next day and said, hey, we made a bunch of huge mistakes and we're going to try and fix them. It is possible that their business plan doesn't work for this game as calculated because it's expensive to make a Marvel game and to get the license, and they might not make all that money back with at the rate they want to, and they might have tried to charge too much, and they might need to fix that. They definitely need to fix that. It's possible that this was just a miscalculation of the math. I have no idea. The backlash has already affected the game because it's in beta, and all of the big names have denounced it in a major, major way. I hope they get some of that back because the game is fun and the people that I've talked to seem like normal people and not evil people. With that being said, they cost too much and exclusive cards suck. So I hope they figured that out and fix it so they don't have to have those things, but they still have to find a way for this to be a loot box sync that some people want to engage with. I think that's really tough. If I knew that, I would run a games company. I have no clue what they should do. I just know the current feelings around them. I don't blame any players for being upset. I don't blame anyone for losing some faith and trust in the company, and I'm going to hold off on giving them money. I'm probably going to buy the Battle Pass because I am a weak-willed human being, but I'm not going to spend any more money on gold for credits. I don't feel a need to do that anyway. Um, it, it sucked. It was a crappy week. I'm curious to see how they handle it, and like costing less money would be a start, but if that means that their company shuts down in two years, I'd rather they not do that. But if they keep the price high, it's not going to work anyways. So they kind of have to go back to the drawing board, and I'm not going to speak on their behalf and what would work, because I have no idea. No, 100%. I mean, something I would love to, you know, if I could be a, a fly on the wall at Second Dinner, I would love to see, I would just be curious to see the spending on the game, right? If they had a little chart that shows, okay, people are buying gold, buying credits, yada, yada, Nexus events launch. Maybe there's a spike in purchasing for like one hour, when that launched and then like i'd love to just see what that chart has looked like in the last week since then right um just because uh i'm assuming it's uh, many players have said i will not not just not engage with the next of next events they said i will not buy any more i will not spend any more money on the game now i'm like you i'm not gonna spend any money outside of the battle pass i i i feel like the battle pass Yes, it, maybe it should be $5. Maybe it should be $7. There's been some discussion about that. It's $10. I feel okay with the $10 for what I'm getting out of that battle pass, season pass. But, you know, it sounds like most people are not going to spend any money outside of that, or some people aren't even going to do that uh, until changes are made, right? So I think this is probably already hurting their, their bottom line and kind of what they were anticipating uh, based off of spending thus far in the beta. So... I'd be really interested to just see see that data, see that. Obviously, I can't. But I personally think that they're going to come out with changes. I think they're going to try to make this right. I think they're going to try to fix the system. Now, uh, you know, I hope that, and that's what I think. They could still get it wrong. They could still, uh, you know, change it to a way that still alienates players. We don't know. Like you say, uh, I'm not a developer. I don't know exactly what they're going to say, but um, or, or what they're going to say or do, but I hope and I think that they're going to try to make this right and they're going to try to, you know, have these systems work in a way that people still enjoy the game, still like the game and feel like it's fair and they can choose to engage with those or not. So that's my hope, and my thought, but only time will tell. Yeah, it's 
listen, they made mistakes before, they can make mistakes again, but I don't believe that they are intentionally trying to screw people, and if they are, it's certainly not working, so, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that was one of the biggest pieces, and, and you know, I, I, I'm interested to see, I assume we're going to get a patch in the next, you know, if they're following the same cadence and kind of, you know, sometimes they say little things about timeline, they don't try to give too specific, they've said, you know, probably three to four weeks, right, from when we got the last patch is when I assume we get another patch. So that's maybe another two, two to three weeks. So uh, time will tell, and, and we'll obviously cover that as we get there. So um, going uh, kind of into our next section, as we kind of turn there, we just have a couple other kind of fun questions that came in here that we just wanted to answer uh, and cover. So Big Sewer 33 asked also, uh, what is Hat's favorite card, and why is it Thanos? Uh, okay, I have to explain this. I feel like only you can answer. This that. is a this is a Hearthstone universe meme. I've been in a lot of podcasts. I do a lot of podcasts. Every time I guess in a new podcast, they posted a gif of Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet, another stone that I'm collecting, collecting podcast Infinity Stones. I'm I have promised my wife that I would not start a Snap podcast. She made me make eye contact while I promised her because this would have been the third game that I started to podcast, my fifth total podcast. It's too many. So I promise, I promise, honey, I'm not starting Snap Podcast. But Thanos is cool. But my favorite card, Sarah Best Girl. Sarah Best Girl, she's the one for me. Yeah. Oh, and man. my wife. I really want to. She's also best. I really want to get Sarah. But yes, uh, yeah. Yes. No, but Thanos, I'm, I am excited for the day we can actually get Thanos just because I don't know if he's any good. And I don't think... You know, people are trying to do the math, but uh, I just want to try. I just want to. I just want to experience it. So uh, excited for when that eventually is actually really playable. Um, up next, we have a question from Matt Chalker. Uh, you know, he he's been a guest host on the show here previously. Uh, he asks, which variant do you think has the most ridiculous hat in the game? This has an objectively true answer. Uh, it's Big Helmet Professor X. It's just the helmet. Have you seen the helmet? It's so big. Yes, it's like, honestly, it's it's one of my favorite uh, kind of more TV or just like cartoonish art uh, in the game. Uh, yeah, it's just hilarious. And Magneto just looking like he's going to give him a hug. It's uh, it's pretty great. Yeah, it's so goofy. It's one might call it ridiculous. One might even say that. Uh, uh, up next, another question from Matt Chalker. Uh, could you relay a moment in the game which either made you chuckle to yourself or audibly gasp a little bit? Um, so, so, Knight of Valir. You remember that hot location when every minion got plus five power when every unit did? Um, yes. The first time I got full shanged, I was like, what just happened? They cleared the entire lane. I instantly lost the game in eight cubes. And then I went and I edited my deck and I put Shang in for a few days and then I got my cubes back. Yeah. It was intense. What about you? You have, you have like a particular uh, I mean, I, that I stands out in your brain. Yeah, I mean, I experienced the same thing. Definitely, that was a feels bad. Uh, but for me, before I understood Death Wave and how it worked, right? Yeah. I did not understand that. So Death starts as a nine cost card and the ability reads that at, for every card you destroy, the cost decreases by one. Well, when you play Wave it puts the, the cost of all your cards in your hand at four. So then death gets set to four, but if you've destroyed, uh, you know, one card, then the cost becomes three. And then if you destroy two cards, it comes two, right? So you can, if you've destroyed at least four cards in the game or your opponent, then their cost becomes four. So when, when people first started getting wave and kind of getting death and doing this, I just, you know, I'd be like, okay, it's turn six, right? And I'm like, okay, even if they lay down Chavez, like I'm good. And then all of a sudden they would throw down Death and Chavez. And I just like, I was like, the game's broken. It's a bug. It's a glitch. You know, I was like, I don't understand. I don't understand how they're playing two cards. Right. And then, and then you'd have the situation where Titan would be a location, which lowers the cost of six cost cards by one. So then uh, yeah. it happened to me once or twice too, where Death and two six cost cards got all played down on turn three. And I was just like, what? Like, I don't understand how this is possible. I mean, um, you saw it all the time in the official discord. Uh, it would go in bug reports. Yeah, Jubilee always seems to pull Chavez. Not a bug. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just, I was just like, how does this keep happening to me? And like, it just, I would kind of forget about it. And it was, it was you know, when people were still early in pool three. So like, 
not everybody had, well, still not everybody has death, but less people had death. And so I would only see it occasionally. And then it wasn't until I got death. And then I kind of looked at death decks more. I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense. So yeah, that was, that was an interesting uh, learning experience for me. So um, we've got a couple more questions here. Um, uh, we've got Andrew is living asks, What's the experience like loving a game and not making content for it? I think that one's directed at you. It is. It's weird. But I am still the siren call of content has called to me. I have offered my consulting services to podcasts. I have uh, looked over a couple articles, helped some people set up discords. I can't help myself. Somebody stop me. But otherwise... In terms of just jamming the game, well, I talk about it a little bit in my other podcasts, my Hearthstone shows, because all my other Hearthstone friends are playing it. Um, but, it's, I mean, it's kind of nice not having to worry about booking a weekly guest. I mean, you're dealing with that now. Uh, logistics are hard. Yeah. Yep. No, it's uh, it's been tricky, and I mean, uh, I've, I've, let my li- I've let the listeners know on Twitter, you know, I'm, I'm in the last three weeks of my master's program. Uh, we're finishing our basement. Uh, oh I have two kids. I have a full time job and I'm, yeah, I, I'm, 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 new, new, I'm starting a new job in six weeks. Anyway, my life right now is kind of crazy. So I'm normally recording these late at night. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I've enjoyed doing it and I've enjoyed getting to connect with great creators like you uh, and others. You know, uh, it's been fun to kind of, you know, create those partnerships, create those relationships. Um, We've got uh, two very important questions uh, I just want to close out with, and I think these are going to be um, just, you know, really important for the listeners to hear your answers to. So uh, what's your favorite sushi and why is it California roll? Okay. I am insulted by this question. It is not a California roll. I'm not a, like, I will eat a California roll if it is given to me. I will never order one. But the sushi that I find myself seeking out the most is unagi. I'm a big eel fan, big mm. eel fan. There are a lot of good sushis out there. I'm an equal opportunity sushi employer, but unagi is the one that I always seek out. Are you are you a sushi fan? You know, I am that one in my friend group. I not that I don't. I mean, I'll eat sushi if it's offered to me. You know, it's it's shared with me, it's given to me. But I'm that guy. It's like we go to a sushi restaurant. All the friends are like sushi connoisseurs. They get the all you can eat. They try all the different kinds, and I and I get like the tempura and kind of like more of the fried uh vegetables chicken steak you know whatever else is there uh fried noodle right like all those other things uh, i tend to go for more than than i go for the sushi so oh, i know fried delicious teriyaki or... chicken what would you do i think yeah. that sounds delightful yeah um but my wife's a big fan of sushi so we have to you know we have to balance that out um and then the final question here from adam i should i should say nap Nap Dynamite uh, asked that last question. And his final question is, Adam Noodleman asks, is a hot dog in a bun a sandwich or taco? I, I've i talked about this on a lot of different shows. I need to get your take first, Michael. I need to get your take first. Um, well, I mean, the bun is, is connected generally at the bottom, right? So it's not okay. two separate pieces of bread. And by that law, I would say it's not a sandwich. It's more like a, like a gyro or a taco. Um. Yeah. yeah, I'm on, I think, I'm on I, team I, taco. I think, like, it's it's defined more by the condiments, and you just say, like, I'm getting a taco, I'm getting a hot dog, that sort of thing. Sandwich has a lot more fluidity into what the inner ingredients are. Uh, and just in terms of construction, and in terms of how many of them I can eat in one go, I think it's a lot closer to a taco than it is to a sandwich. Now, the, the correct answer here is, can I have one? That is what I want to know. But if I had to yeah. pick one... I'm on Team Taco. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, we live close to Costco. I don't know if you're a Costco fan, but $1.50 hot dog and a, and a soda. I mean, uh, Th- that combo is a My wife asks treasure. where I want to go out to eat, and I say Costco. So, uh, good yeah. answer. Yeah. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us. Uh, we've covered a lot of different topics, a lot of different thoughts today. Appreciate you sticking with us and, uh, you know, sending in these questions. It's been a lot of fun to, uh, Look through the questions that came in. Again, apologize if we weren't able to get to all of the questions specifically, but thank you for sending them in. Um, Ridiculous Hat, you know, I just want to give you a chance. You've obviously alluded to the other work you do, the other uh, podcasts that you work on. I'd just love to give you a minute to um, kind of talk about uh, the other content you're putting out, 
uh, how people can follow you, how they can consume the content you're putting out, and how they can best support you. So, I mean, how you can support me? If you're listening to this episode, subscribe to it right now. Pause the episode. Or, or if you're driving, wait until you park. Don't, don't do this while you're driving. Subscribe to this podcast, Can't Stop Snapping. Do it right now. I want you to do that. That's the best thing that you can do for me. Otherwise, you can find the hub of my content over at twitter.com slash ridiculous hat. That's where I put my air quotes content. You can't see the air quotes, so I hope you can hear them. But also, I'm on three Hearthstone podcasts. Going can see the Angry Chicken and Vicious Syndicate. Um, and I'm in a bunch of Snap Discords and a bunch of other Discords. I talk about video games on the internet and make spreadsheets for them. So if you're doing, if you're engaging with any of that stuff, you'll probably find me. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being on the show. We hope to have you back again at some time. Uh, listeners, as always, thank you for listening. I appreciate you, you know, sticking with us as we've had a slightly slower release of episodes with me being so busy. Appreciate you sticking with us. Make sure to let us know your thoughts about the discussion we've had uh, on Twitter. Tag, uh, tag us both at Ridiculous Hat and at Can't underscore Stop underscore Snap. And we'll see you in the next episode. Can't Stop Snapping is a podcast written, produced, recorded, and hosted by Michael Thurman. Thanks for listening.